Let me know when we're ready. What do you mean? When we're ready to start the show. Um, sure. Uh, do you want to banter a little bit? We're good. We're ready. We're solid. I feel like you might have started recording and you haven't even made a signal. Oh, sorry. Welcome to Shame Watch, a guilt-free dive into those massive movie failures that we hate to love. Each week we bring in a movie that either we or our guests love, but society constantly ridicules them for. We look in each nook and cranny for every bright spot, hoping to keep society at bay while we watch these movies like the miracles that they are. I'm Kenny Madison. I'm Aaron Salinas, and it's my birthday episode. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Aaron. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Kenny. Notice I'm not saying thank you, James, because James isn't here today. Yes, James is currently occupied, so I'm dubbing this episode two in what I'm calling our Maxi series, our Big Boy Maxi series. <laughs> fair, fair, very fair. Uh, if you want to listen to the first episode of our Big Boy Maxi series, you can listen to episode nine, Jersey Girl. Uh, in this Maxi series, us two big boys, so called the big boys, <laughs> cover big boy movies in the first. In the first episode of the Maxi series, we covered Kevin Smith, notorious former big boy. Former big boy. He's, in all honesty, a very interesting change. Like, I've just seen him recently, and he did, like, a What's in My Fridge thing on YouTube. God, he's just dramatically changed. But, yeah, former big boy, but basically all big boy cinephiles uh, attached to Kevin. Correct. So that's where we came in. Correct. Uh, I believe he's aggressively vegan now. Yeah. Like, uh, hardcore. I mean, to the, yeah, he's, uh, he did a very good episode of the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, I'm not a huge fan, but I did catch it. Um, I cried. I laughed. There was a lot going on in that episode. Sure. Kevin it, Smith cries a lot. Now. He does. He's very emotional. His kid's growing up. Like, he's got a lot going on. Sure. And, and like, it was really kind of interesting to say, by the way, this has nothing to do with the episode. Certainly. But, um he said which made me cry is he was talking about his uh his dog who passed away and he said i was riding my my dynamites when that that dog ridden wrote him for me he said when his dog passed away that's when he wrote tusk and what's the one with his daughter hooser yoga hosers yoga hosers and he said when that dog died i just started tanking i don't well, well that's he, debatable yeah i mean his his kevin kevin smith work is whenever his dog was alive and writing for him is what he said. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. We'll let, it, it, we'll was, let it slip. It was the dog and not the fact that you were just hungrier back in the 90s where you were eager to prove yourselves and not because you got comfortable, which is so fine. Yeah. You're, you, he's a personality. He's yeah. just a personality. And I mean, he's still got an fun. empire at this time. I mean... He's he, got Fat Man and, well, I don't even know if it's the podcast still called that. but Fat Man Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he he's still doing things, but, um, yeah, he's still wearing his hockey jerseys and backwards caps and doing Kevin Smith thingies. Yeah. But uh, good for him, and I know all, you know, young, chubby film guys wish to aspire to be him one day. If we can only all hope to have a heart attack on our birthday and go aggressively vegan afterwards. So, too, are my desires. Wasn't it after your stand-up special, too? 
he was daring at stand-up yeah. special. <laughs> he recorded one because Kevin Smith is ludicrous, and he was about to record his second one that he did back-to-back because that's how he does it. And then he just came back backstage. He was like, huh, I don't really feel that good. And then... Yeah, he got pronounced with having a heart attack. You know, like you do. Per use. Yeah. Per use. Um, but today, we're not talking Kevin Smith. No, we're talking another big boy in our Big Boy Maxi series. <laughs> Possibly one of the most delightful big men. One of the most charming big boys uh, of all, John Candy. Um, for uh, For this episode, we're covering Uncle Buck. So just a little bit of backstory of why I chose this one. My grandmother didn't have cable. Um, but what she did have was a big boxy TV that had a VHS and DVD printer connected to it. Like it was all in the same thing. It was pretty high tech. Nice. And uh, she didn't have cable, but she had a big stack of just random DVDs. Um, some like were in Spanish and just some stuff that just became like a pile. But there was Uncle Buck. And no matter, I would go to my grandmother's like three to four days out of the week. I was still just watching Uncle Buck, just giggling. Oh, my God. I just loved it. It's one of those movies. And I know it's not like a terrible movie by any standpoint, but um, it is one of those movies where if we were like if the Super Bowl was going on or there was just like a high profile thing going on, but Uncle Buck was on in the back room, I'd still be in the back room just watching Uncle (laughs) Buck, just delighted to no end. Um, And yeah, that's why it's just a movie that I will continuously watch. Midway from the beginning, no matter what, I'm going to sit down and just watch Uncle Buck. And since this is your birthday, we may have removed some of the normal restrictions. We've removed the gutters from the the gutter protectors from the gutters that is our podcast. <laughs> so we're you just can, going all in. That's right. You can bowl an authentic game of movie watching, but that doesn't still mean that I wasn't able to provide context <laughs> for why someone may or may not feel shame. Now, since this film did come out in 1989, Rotten Tomatoes is just a little bit scant on written reviews that are stored on the internet. It's so weird. Nevertheless, I was still able to find one from Dennis Schwartz on homepages.sover.net forward slash tildeosis forward slash unclebuck.html. So you know it's real, especially because it's got a Comic Sans header. <laughs> he wanted to be taken seriously on this one. That's right. And one Mr. Dennis Schwartz writes, The supposedly sweet domestic comedy hits too many sour notes to remain in tune, even if always competent. It's written and directed by John Hughes, who makes it sometimes uncomfortable to watch by being so awkward while giving it no edge. It plays out as a John Candy star vehicle who is the lovable good-natured slob bachelor. If there wasn't such a need for sentimental moralizing, this film would have worked better and been more sympathetically received. The comedy antics are only mildly amusing. It's an innocuous film more suited for television sitcom than a feature film. Grade C+. Written in 2017. Wow. He He had the time for that one. Uh, I got to show you this website just to make you double check the fact that this website was made in 2017. Oh, my God. It's atrocious. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Yeah, that's... (laughs) 
it's 2017. It's not early internet that he. And for the listener, could you perhaps describe what you're looking at right now for the website? So, um, it's on Kenny's computer, but it's uh, I want to say like early 2000s, possibly 2001. Um, your dad got to make a website, and he thought it was real nifty with it. Sure. And um, he's he. Can't even. He's just—it's—it's like you had to write your 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 English final, and this is what you (laughs) produced. It's really not like. Granted, I'm just kind of picking on 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 the format, but just the website alone just seems like uh, like my website that I made when I think I was like in 2005 is a whole lot better than this. Uh, My MySpace page is probably a whole lot better. (laughs) Sure. Than this man's entire page. It's uh, myspace.com slash coolboner420. <laughs> Still very active. But then I grew up and I was just like, righteous dude, 69. <laughs> 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 um, it's rough. We'll, we'll drop a link because you want to. We'll drop a link. We'll drop a link. There'll be some links. We'll drop a link. But I mean, uh, do you think there's any truth to what he wrote? I mean, I do see. I mean, it is a sitcom now. Uh, yeah, I guess it's had two sitcoms because there was a sitcom that was immediately after uh, this iteration of Uncle Buck. Then there was the. Who's the guy? Mike Epps is doing it right there now. There you go. Yeah. I wanted to say Omar Epps. Is it still going on? I don't think so. I know it was Aaron. an ABC show, I believe. I think we're real bad on this. But yeah, Mike Epps did a version of it. Um, sitcom. Well, it was uh, poorly received and canceled after only eight episodes. Oh, wow. I was going to say maybe two seasons, but good God, no. Sure. <laughs> Wasn't even given that opportunity. Um, but yeah, so I could see. I do think it could be very married with children-esque. The, yeah, this the execution of this film does not match the premise of this film, which makes it all the more rewarding. Have, yeah. have we gone over what this, for people that might not know what Uncle Buck is. Uh, it is the 1989 classic Uncle Buck. It's a Buck. 1989 film. <laughs> um, takes place in Chicago. Um, what happens is um, you get this charming vibe from this family, you know, uh, a boy and two daughters, um, in this quaint little suburban neighborhood, um, the daughter is kind of just like in. She's a sophomore in high school. She's kind of going through her moods. You know, is what they paint it. Uh, the little boy is just kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, kind of everybody's pest. The um, the youngest daughter is just kind of you know trying to find her way, being a little six, eight year old. Oh no, she's six. Yeah, being a little six year old trying to make her way. Um, the mother is. Uh, I don't know how to describe the mother. She's not really a mother. She's not there. Yeah, she's not there. Uh, the The oldest daughter makes hints that, you know, um, she she's not involved in their lives. She doesn't really care. She asks uh, Macaulay Culkin, the, the uh, middle child, hey, how was your hockey game? And he was like, hockey's been over for two weeks. So that kind of sets the context that she has no real concern. She concer- she's concerned for the kids that, you know, they're alive and fed. But anything outside of that, she's just too caught up to do anything in. Uh, the the They drop a line that uh, they moved from Indianapolis, um, where their whole lives were settled. 
uh, so that way they could make more money here in Chicago. Um, and so the daughter is very resentful of the parents. She doesn't want to be involved in this. Uh, she loved her life in Indianapolis. I guess people do that. Um, and uh, so it's just this, it's, it, it sets the groundwork pretty good. I'll say in the first 10, 15 minutes you get, okay, youngest daughter doesn't want to be here. Middle child, Macaulay Culkin, just kind of a pain in the butt. And the little girl doesn't really care where she's at. She doesn't really have, you know, dependent relationships yeah. just yet. Um, we're in the middle of the night and the mother's uh, family calls and her father had a heart attack. Uh, they say, you know, the father is okay, but, you know, he does need help. Uh, so they scramble that they need to get back to Indianapolis to help out the father. Um, and it's probably one of my more favorite parts of it is just where the dad knows he's going to ask Buck. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just tell in his face um, that, you know, we're going to ask Buck. And the mother is just trying to say, oh, we need somebody to watch the kids. We can't take them. They have school, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she's just trying to drop any name. She's like, you know, ask the Smiths or whatever or the 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 Vunderfells or whatever. You know, the Vunderfells. The Vunderfells. And um, everybody's like, oh, we're in Florida. Oh, we got something going on. It's just middle of middle of nowhere. I mean, middle out of nowhere. Um, drop everything and can you watch the kids? So it's really difficult to find that. But the the dad's just like, hey, what about Buck? And the mother is just totally against it. Um, but she finds out she's got no choice. So they could all they call good old John Candy, Uncle Buck. Um, and at this point, I believe he's got some context as well. Yeah. Uh, it's so fascinating. I, I just want to I want to know what the first cut of this film is because it's very obvious that there are missing pieces oh, yeah. from this film. And I want to know if that first scene with Buck is was supposed to be after him getting woken up in the middle of the night. That's what it kind of feels like. Because the way that the movie and people talk about Buck is that he's this insufferable gambling addict, drunkard schlub. Yeah. And the first scene that you get with Buck is someone that is listening and caring and making eye contact with his girlfriend and having a serious discussion that could have very easily been cartoonish, especially considering where John Hughes was going in his career trajectory. This movie was dancing on being super cartoonish. There's a whole bunch of cartoonish scenes and Buck could have been very cartoonish and does have cartoonish moments, but he's, it's unlike how you would do this character now. Yeah. It, it's it's and like you said, I would like to see the first cut of this film because a lot of John Candy films, first pass was usually about four hours. Um, I know planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, Steve Martin was like, yeah, it was about four and a half hours. The first cut that we liked, yeah. and and boy, boy. so I can't imagine. So it's probably in that same nature that um, it, there's pro- we probably have a lot of missing pieces. Yeah, and the finished product, I'm kind of okay with. I would have liked more. It worked. Granted, yeah, it worked. Um, questions were answered. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that they established that this guy has a girl wanting him. Yeah. Because Shanice, uh, right? Shanice. Shanice. You know, she's just like, come Shanice. on, let's just settle down. Come on, Buck. Let's just let's have a family. Um, and that's really kind of nice to see. It would have been so easy to make her a nag. Yeah. She's not. She is a rounded character. She's genuine. She's got. She's got so much. I. Lo- I actually wrote in one of my notes. 
Um, I said Shanice is in this movie. Yes, she is. She's dialed in, and I think she's an unsung hero in this one. Sure. Yes. And she's played by. No, no, it'll stay in. Okay, we're just gonna. Shanice. Aaron is just calmly looking at his phone. He's dialing up information on who the person that played Shanice is. I want to say, I don't know. Gee, that's Tia. It's Tia. I'm looking at Tia. Oh, Bug has not aged well. Going, looking at Bug, Tia's boyfriend. Weird. That's weird. I can't That's find not, her. Uh, she's got to be on there. She's one of the characters. She is. Shanice. Um, oh, there we go. Uh, Amy Madding, uh, Madigan? That's who I thought it was. Uh, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Madigan. Um, she is a... Uh, the The mother says she sells tires, but I think it's just like an auto shop. She runs like a auto mechanic shop. Yeah. Something. And she owns it. She owns the shop. And she that, runs it. Boy, uh, thinking about other movies that were made in the late 80s that would have had a woman owning a tire shop could have been super caricaturesque. That's not a word. <laughs> That's not a word at all. Aaron uh, recut that to where I sound smart. Uh, but she's not. She's a, she's a character that just happens to own a tire shop. She's self-actualized. And she also doesn't happen to fit in these typical gender roles, yeah. I suppose, in, in terms of this time she's got her own uh she's got her own apartment she's got her own car which is like you said for the late 80s a little strange um that you know not many movies would have gone that route yeah and to that like the only thing that you can say she's got a soft spot for is she keeps telling she keeps letting buck get away with a lot because he works in the auto shop and he's like i'll be there i'll be there tomorrow that is the one thing that i kind of have an issue with which is the fact that she lets Buck get away with so much and is so forgiving, yeah. Uh, which could be just baked into the character. It could be just John Hughes's regressive attitudes towards women in general. But also, this it's it's such an unusual choice. Who was that? That was Bentley, and he's gonna be in it because. <laughs> You guys talked at the same time, so Bentley's in it. <laughs> it's my roommate's talk. Um, but, yeah, like, it was a little... It, but, I mean, for the movie, it works. And yeah, I, I really would have liked her to just kind of dig down, just like, no, this is it. But that goes into a whole different movie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, the, um, the, the parents have to go to chicago and sure. in a very uncle buck fashion he's got to wake up um he's got a very uncle buck apartment which i think uncle buck has just become uh a noun i mean for you yeah not it, for me <laughs> i i well uncle buck inherently is a noun it, to me it's like um it's like the griswolds you know what i mean okay like it's like, please um, tell me. Yeah, it's just like, oh, they're like the Griswolds. Like at Christmas, like, did you ever have anybody like, oh, they're like the Griswolds? No, they have the whole, <laughs> they have the Christmas decorations up. Uh, you know, they go the whole nines. I grew up without neighbors. Oh, well, <laughs> for me, my parents would kind of drop lines like that. Yeah, like, oh, they're like the Griswolds. Well, that's weird. <laughs> you didn't have a, a good childhood, Aaron. You're just you're weird <laughs> with your 
with your, with your nouns and whatnot. Uh, what my family did is we looked at our Christmas tree and we liked it. The end. We uh, we decorated our Christmas tree while watching Predator. That was a very weird Selena's Christmas tradition. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I actually got one of the artists who drew Predator in the comic books to oh, uh, draw my mom a Christmas present. So, oh shoot! Yeah, it's just an ugly Predator with his mouth open, and it says cool. "Merry Christmas, Elisa." <laughs> yeah, he was like, "This isn't the strangest request." I'm like. Okay, I really don't want to know what else you've been asking. Sure. So, um, but yeah, so um, Uncle Buck has to drive down, and they kind of set um, him like he hasn't, he doesn't know the kids. It's been a while. He's saying uh, T has got to be at least you know nine, ten, and she's a sophomore in high school. Sure. And you're just getting this idea that he has no real um, connection with the family, and you're not really told why. Um, you get hints that the mother is just not down with it, um, not happy that you know. Buck is in the family, so mm. to speak. Um, but he shows up. Yeah, they hint at a history that is never... Elaborated. Yeah, which is interesting. And, like, there's something that specifically happened between him and the mother. Uh, Cindy. Yeah, Cindy. Cindy. Um, and you kind of see that conceptualized, because um, they're very distant. Sure. Um, but more specifically... He's digging through some family photos, and they find uh, he finds a wedding photo of them cutting the cake, and it's folded, and it's only folded where he's in the picture. Yeah. Which, that kind of, I know it's just a small moment, but it was still like, oh, man, this this guy is such a giving guy. You can tell. Yeah. He's the guy who would buy everyone a beer at the bar. He just might not pay his tab. <laughs> he's, he's not a bad person. He's an unsuccessful person. Right. Uh, Aaron, yes, I have a little bit of trivia for you. Okay, for some possible candidates that might have played. Oh, I Uncle Bob. <laughs> this is a very interesting list because I was very, I was knee deep in the trivia. Some choices for Uncle Buck include John Goodman, Danny DeVito, Robin Williams, Jack Nicholson, Steve Martin, Joe Pesci, George Went. It gets weirder. John Travolta. Tom Hanks, Bill Murray, Jim Belushi, Dudley Moore. It gets weirder. Tim Allen, Chevy Chase, Tom Cruise. That's the one I don't get. Not finished. <laughs> good Lord. Dan Aykroyd. Uh, who, good Lord. Wow, this is incredible. Uh, David Hasselhoff, Knight Rider, Airwolf. Battlestar Galactica captain. Will Smith. The talking elf puppet. Big uh, Bird. Uh, what was what was the name of the, the giant talking head in Legends of the Hidden Temple? Olmec. Olmec. <laughs> the 1980s U.S. hockey team that went to the Olympics. Michael Jordan. Scotty Pippen. Larry Bird. Bugsy Moogs. Bugs Bunny. Lola Bunny. Marvin the Martian. Taz. Martin from my favorite Martian. <laughs> but in all honesty, I think they were just some of those make sense. Murray, Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's the one I don't get. That makes me so mad. Like he's he's a heartthrob, he's a stud. Had well, he what, had he done Top Gun yet? Uh he'd done Risky Oh yeah, he'd definitely done Top Gun by then. 
Uh, I, I believe that he was at the prestige part of his career where he was stopping to do uh, Days of Thunder Top Gun type of okay. films. And he was working with capital D directors, which John Hughes was at the time. Um, but just, I can picture it if you're taking risky business type Tom Cruise, slightly irresponsible, slightly cocksure. It's a vastly different energy. Uh, probably something that's a lot smarmier and seedier than what John Candy brought to it, and it certainly wouldn't have been kind. And whenever John Candy is, whenever Uncle Buck is threatening to literally drill the boyfriend, right. it probably would have come off a lot more like a horror movie if Tom Cruise was doing it. Fair. Yeah, yeah, because because to me what work, what makes this movie work is he's just the bit, and what kind of was his downfall in some people's eyes was he's the he's a big lovable lug. That that's just who John Candy was. He yeah. was a very sweet, kind, charming man. And I and I will say, and I kind of wanted to bring this up that Chris Farley was kind of every you know big guy's introduction to hey you can be in in comedy and you can be in at least in the the late nineties if you grew up in that era for our generation. Right, Farley was the thing. Yeah, exactly. And and you know you were like cool. I I can be like that guy. And then but you you find that dark cloud around. Well, it's not necessarily Farley. It's so, and and this is the conflicting thing about uh, Welcome to the Big Boy Maxi series. Uh, th- this is this is the conflicting thing about big boy representation, because there's so much. There are so many overweight white dudes or or white identifying dudes that are in media, and they're all schlubs. You've right. got a Kevin James. You've got a Mark Addy from Still Standing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, Patton Oswalt to a certain extent. Uh, a little bit, yeah. He's I, the more nerdy side, I guess. Certainly. Uh, shoot, going all the way back to Jackie Gleason, Carol O'Connor. Uh, I mean, they, they always say Bel- the Belushi brothers to a certain extent. Um, I mean, for the who 80s. Who says the Belushi brothers? That are he- are big? I mean, they're big, but no one ever went, ah, there they are, the Belushi brothers. <laughs> I'm so well, glad that we've got the complete package. John and Jim. No, but like, thank goodness we've got both of them. It was going to be kind of disappointing to just have John. Oh, John no. was coming. No, no. If it's not the Belushi brothers, <laughs> I just, I don't want one of them. I want both. Which of is them. really unfortunate. Whenever John passed away and Dan Aykroyd had to fill the void of being part of the Belushi brothers. Yeah, like, but I mean, even Dan Aykroyd too. Like he was, he was always kind of slim, but he was just a bigger guy. Yeah, and, and like. It it's it's just kind of strange that like even for that era they were just the the big guys yeah and your 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 big guys in comedy were you know they're, they're gonna slam a pitcher of beer they were gonna break tables they were gonna be you know the schlubs that were chasing after girls that had no chance they're going to be oafish yes exactly and and what's kind of with this one they said and what I really liked about it too is this is kind of just a just go and play movie. Kind of like Jason Momoa. I really liked Aquaman because they were just like, just go and play, Jason. You're absolutely right. This is a very Jason Momoa type <laughs> performance. <laughs> he was dialed in th- just as much for Game of Thrones. You guys are my nephews. I can fucking dig it. You wanna? You want one of my pancakes? My man. <laughs> my man. <laughs> but it 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 was definitely one of the first movies where he was schlubby. He was messy. But he was, you know, he had a, a genuine girlfriend, you know, he was, you yeah. know, who wanted to build a, a life and a relationship with him. 
and which was really nice to see. You know, this is probably one of the first movies. And and to be honest, he would he not a lot of people have a lot of say bad things to say about him. Sure. Like even because, you know, sometimes even with with and I keep going back to it, like with Chris Farley, they were like, well, yeah, sometimes he was kind of, you know, he said he wanted to beat up David Spade and he would get angry and stuff. But with John Candy, it was just like, yeah, he would he just worked like his his, his uh, kids are now actors as well. And they say that, yeah, the only tough thing with dad was that we didn't really go on vacations. We went on set, which we really liked a lot more. We didn't go, you know, our friends were going to like Florida and stuff and we were going to St. Louis. So that way we could watch dad film planes, trains and automobiles. <laughs> and and that's really cool because then you have like Uncle Steve growing up because or Uncle Martin, you know, just people that he, you know, that just becomes your family. And he 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 grew up in a cool time in comedy um, Eugene Levy, Dan Aykroyd. I think Belushi was just getting out of Second City, maybe. Uh, on SNL. Shoot, I don't recall what the history is. I feel like Belushi was part of uh, National Lampoon. Yeah, uh, I, I'm certainly not as n- good with my comedy history as I should be. I, I just know that Aykroyd and well, was yeah, Aykroyd was definitely Second City. Yeah, he was he was a comedian. Uh, I mean, excuse me, a uh, Canadian kid. Um, him and Martin Short, and I think they agreed to go to Chicago, Second City, and they said, "Hey, we can do this in Toronto too." I believe, and that's when they did the Toronto Second City. Well, Second City was opening up branches all over the place right. because the darn thing was a was was a hard put success. I think hard put success is a term that people use. All the time. It's a hard-put success, Aaron. It's a hard-put success. I believe it. It's, it, it, it's in vernacular. Yeah, Second City was a hard-put success, and they were looking to make more hard-put successes all around the U.S., the, uh, and they opened a lot of branches, and the only one that survived and I think still is thriving is Second City Toronto. Is L.A. still around? Uh, L.A. still around, right? That's a great question. Yeah, because Tom just left there not too long ago, like, 12 years ago. Sure, but that was 12 ago. years ago. Fair. The improv scene in LA has changed drastically even in just the past two years with the shutdown of uh, IO West and then also one of the branches of UCB out there. Yeah. Uh, not to mention uh, Nerd Belt and some other things. Gosh darn it. So the the major one has always been Chicago. That's most the definitely. flagship. Yeah, I mean... And then Toronto is probably the most successful satellite. Uh, Toronto was probably the most visual... The most visible, rather, because it had a darn TV Yeah. <laughs> and that's where Second City Top Brass went to go make their name for each other, for themselves, rather, up in Toronto by doing SCTV, and Candy comes out of that group. And he, he's, <clears throat> he's very, it's interesting because this was five years before his death. He died March 4th, 1994. Whoa. Yeah, he, um, which that's interesting too. Um, we'll get into that later probably. But um, so he's he's thriving right now in his career. I think two years later, he buys a Canadian football team. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing well, very well for himself. He's just a kind hearted guy. Um, he, he did, I think, like 40 f- movies total, uh, main movies. Um, that's a lot of movies. That's a ton of movies. Um, I just found out Keanu Reeves's credits. God, God the man has 97. Nice. 97. But um but yeah, with Belushi, I mean not Belushi, Jesus. Uh, with with Candy, you they said he if he wasn't making movies, he was doing charity. Yeah. And if he wasn't doing charity or movies, he was with his family. 
So he's just a kind-hearted guy, and his even his daughter was like, no, my dad was Uncle Buck. Like, he was just a, a lovable guy that literally knew everybody in the bar, and if he didn't, he was going to make sure that he was the last word to them. Mm-hmm. He, he It was very interesting just to hear that she was like, no, my, my dad was his characters. And you can tell that a lot in how he plays this. Like, I love every time he talked on the phone. Yeah. Because they just, you can tell they just said, John, go. Well, let's talk about Candy's film career because I feel like John Hughes is the only one that's able to successfully utilize him in a leading role. Uh, it's it's this and Planes, Trains, and Automobile, and then John Candy pops up in side roles and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. But how else do you use John Candy? Uh, his his whenever he is best, he is kind. I I is is his persona naive? I guess it's naive. Uh, in this one, yeah. Um, to me, or clueless. What I don't want to say, it's clueless. Such a, it's such a precise thing that he's working in. It's the exact same character from Planes, Trains, and Automobile, but Sans mustache, and there, there's less darkness. And to me, in this one, he's just a, a man child. Yeah, he 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 doesn't want to get married, and and he kind of says it best himself. He's like they used to say, John, uh, Buck, you got it all. You don't have a wife to answer to. You don't got kids to answer to. You can just throw your sticks in your car and go play, you know, around a golf if you'd like. Anytime you want. You got the life. And he kind of, he makes that remark in disdain. He's like, yeah, they mm-hmm. said you have the life. And so he's, it's kind of, it's weird, like, to say a coming of age story <laughs> for a man in his 40s. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just kind of how it's portrayed. And and he's kind-hearted and genuine from the moment he meets the kids, I mean, really, to the I mean, the moment he shows up, you know, he he, which is gosh, what a what a complex, what an interesting choice to go to just make him good at be at childcare from the get go, and it's, yeah, it's believable, uh, probably because you have that first scene where you buy Buck as a nice guy, but if that's Big Daddy, which yeah. is the premise of this film taken without any of the complexities that John Hughes managed to imbue in this, where Sandler is just a deadbeat that doesn't, that's terrible at childcare from the beginning and that gets better. That's, that's Sandler's arc. No Buck's good at it from the get go, which is so odd, but in a very uncle Buck way. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of portrayed really nicely because it kind of reminded me when I was a kid, because uh, miles McCully Culkin comes down and he serves him breakfast, which is really an adult men's breakfast, yeah. I guess. It's a half a grapefruit, some eggs, I think like tomatoes, bacon, sausage, something can, like that. Can we talk about how great the Mac attack is in this movie? Macaulay Culkin is more charming in this than uh, The Favorite Son or Home Alone. Uh, shoot, the last time I watched Home Alone was probably whenever I was single digits. So it's been a very long time. Never seen the favorite son, uh, but here I I get it. He's and and what's really cute is when you find out that he worked a lot with uh, John Candy. They had three movies total together. When John when they were doing the interview with uh-huh. each other, uh, Macaulay just wasn't getting it. He wasn't doing the time, and he said, "Hold on." And John went to go write down cards and stick it on his forehead, so that way Macaulay could get the timing right. It's so. Oh, also, context. I can't believe I didn't add this context. I've never seen this movie before. I oh, don't watch. Right. The, I've never seen this movie until last night, and then to watch 
this rapid fire scene between him and John Candy, uh, it feels so screwballish, and it's such it's it's such a difficult thing to do, and he pulls it off with so much aplomb. Uh, what's the amount of consecutive whatever the thing is? What's the what's the number of consecutive questions you've asked? Thirty eight. And, and it's just like that's that's a big number. And like it's just so charming. You have more nose hairs than your nose than my dad does. It, it's just. Uh, it's great that you noticed that. Of course I do. I'm a kid. That's my job. And and, and from right there, you're it's like so deadpan too. Good lord. And John Candy has the most emotion in it. Yeah. But even then, I kind of feel like it breaks. Macaulay did a better job in it than John did. Yes. And, and it's just really ah, it's so good. And, and he, from right there, the the relationship is established, mm-hmm. and, and that's really really nice to see that they kind of like become pals, like almost Calvin and Hobbes esque, that they're just kind of like going around with each other, and and with this and ah, Macaulay just his first entrance is he walks in to come down to breakfast, um, and and he's kind of a little rascal on this too, like he's like what's another word for balls, and he just turns around he's like nuts and it's just like so childish and how 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 that's the perfect it's unreal macaulay is dialed in on this one yeah he's dialed in uh let's talk about candy leading roles after after this because you're the resident john candy expert uh what else comes to mind for john candy leading roles after this we've got wagons east uh which is his last one uh well, there's Canadian Bacon that's after that. Oh. Uh, but I believe that's more of an ensemble film from the multiple times that Comedy Central ran it. And I went, no, thank you. I don't want to watch this. This looks S- terrible. Some say Wagon's East is what killed him. <sighs> really? Yeah, because supposedly there's two different tales out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being that um, he there's a scene where he like runs into tables or runs into wagons or something. And he had to do it a lot. Um, and just for context, he's six foot two. Some say, some say he, his, uh, actor's resume weight was like 285, but realistically he's like 350 mm-hmm. more, more realistic, but he's a taller guy. So it, it kind of fills him well. Yeah. Um, but he had to just like run into this, this table and he just had to keep doing it, keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, some say he, it was, he, they were filming, filming in Durango, Mexico, which is kind of deep Mexico and it's hot. It's, it's near the equator. Um, and he was just exhausted that day. He left. Um, the only agreed upon thing that I could read was that his final meal was spaghetti and meatballs. Now the, the two different, uh, things is he, some say he just had his dinner of spaghetti meatballs. The second one is that they finished filming. He made spaghetti and meatballs for everybody. That that's the two contrasting stories. Mm-hmm. There was one that said they had two more scenes. There was another one that the the movie was finished. Either way, there he was had spaghetti, spaghetti and meatballs. meatballs, and he went to uh, bed, came back. Uh, his uh, his friend and bodyguard kept calling, kept calling, kept calling, wasn't answering. Um, showed up. He was half on the bed, half off, and they said, "What? What happened?" Came in, called it um, March fourth, nineteen ninety four, and. Um, they said what happened and there was no there's also like rumors that he had like drug and alcohol in his system but they just said it was a cardiac arrest mm-hmm. which is possible his father died at the age of 34 john was five at the time so it's in the blood there's just possibility that bad heart unfortunately yeah and um 
So a lot of people say he was just physically exhausted. His heart just gave out. And they did say he, he, the way he was laid down was he did look like he got up, but then he just fell back down. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, when you're, when you're that size and he, in in every movie he goes, he goes balls to the walls. So it does make sense. Also, just to bring it back to the movie, uh, John Hughes makes Uncle Buck look like the biggest character that has ever lived. Which is so good because he's your uncle. He's everybody's uncle. Yeah. He's he's huge. Not just width-wise, but he's just this looming presence over everything. And then you look at it, and it's John Candy's kind face. He's literally larger than life. And, and he's he's clean-shaven, and he just looks like a nice marshmallow in in this soft sweater and you can't help but love him yeah and and i and hughes did phenomenal in doing that mm-hmm. and in all real quick the editing was solid yeah the editing was nice it um his the the way he would like walk to music was really nice yeah um what i really loved was the heart attack moment um it's a uh ekg the beep beep, beep. oh yeah and then um it, it goes flat and then the mother wakes up and then the phone rings. Um, so that was a really nice touch. Kind of Edgar Wright-ish, I want to say. It, there were some elements. It's so... This would never be able to work now. But yeah. you just accept it because you go, oh, this is just John Hughes doing his thing. Because he's... John Hughes. Uh, played in things that seem slightly cartoonish. Which is... It's just not... Audiences crave so much logic now that they would never go for something that is this expressionistic while also being this grounded. You would never... John Candy threatening a boyfriend with a hatchet. And a ritual killing. Yeah. And then literally driving at him to kill him. And it's played for laughs. And the movie codes it as laughs. And if that was a scene that was filmed exactly the same way now... It would get decried, and rightly so, Right. to be fair. Because he's in high school. He's a kid. <laughs> because the the darn thing is uh, super conservative about women's bodies and how they should be preserved as temples. Uh, it just wouldn't fly. Yeah. Th- that kind of filmmaking just wouldn't fly. Uh, as much as I love this movie, there is some parts that just wouldn't. Work. Sure. Like the consent part at the very end with the girl and bug. And she's just saying, I don't want to do this. I don't. It, it's creepy now. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. But uh, he comes in when he comes into that moment. You're just kind of like, oh, Uncle Buck saves the day still. Yeah, I guess. So to speak for the night, for the yes. 80s. It works out. Uh, luckily, gosh darn it. Uh, the daughter needed a stern talking to by an authoritative male figure in this in the form of a deadbeat 40 year old man. Uh, who missed that, his gambling that his big payoff that's right <laughs> to go babysitter that's right that cooks giant pancakes on a giant griddle but the clown scene yes is one of my favorite lines of all times where the the clown is just is hung over he shows up and he's just making inappropriate jokes to john or uncle buck and he just and the he just looks at him and he goes look get back in your mouse and go home because he shows up in a mouse car because he's a clown. <laughs> and 
that's just I said that line so many times last night. Uh, for people that can't see it, Aaron is currently rolling around on the floor, clutching his sides. Get back the... in your mouse <laughs> and go home. Aaron, <laughs> you got to get up from the floor, buddy. We got to finish the podcast. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, and you can tell like he's been, he's been there longer than he should because the mom was like, oh we uh wait Miles' birthday is coming up. We'll be home before then. And he isn't, but he still owns it like a champ. He makes giant four foot wide pancakes yep. for Miles on his birthday. And it's so it's the most iconic scene probably in Uncle Buck when he's flipping the pancake. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. But it, oh, it's just so good in your mouth and go home. It's so good. <laughs> So if you haven't seen the movie, there's no context to it. But he, the clown shows up in a mouse car and John Candy just tells him what to do. And it's getting back in the house. <laughs> but so if we're going through the movie. Um, so, yeah, Miles. and then We from, are. <laughs> and, um, oh, what do you think of the principal scene? Oh. Where she has a conversation with John about uh, Maisie. Oh, uh, it felt so forced. It, I was watching the scene going, oh, you're saying this stuff to set up John Candy to say things uh, to make Uncle Bob seem nice. It felt super artificial. Yeah, and... Also, Maisie is not really a character in the movie. She just exists to be cute. Yeah. Which is fine. The bedroom, the bed scene is very cute and that's and he's like bargaining with her yeah because all she wants to do is lay down in his bed yeah and he's like and he gives her so many reasons he's like no i'm a drooler you know i just take up so much of the bed and by the end of it miles and Maisie end up sharing the bed with him cute which um reminded me i had to babysit my little cousins not i'm their uncle buck they call me uh i'm actually uncle booney um that's just, but your name's Aaron Omar. Yeah, my dad's uh nickname is Nooney for whatever reason. Why? I don't know. <laughs> and so they're like, Oh, he has a kid, we'll name him Pooney. It's weird. Um and but yeah, they just call me Uncle Pooney. And so I had to babysit them, so we had our Uncle Buck moment where um I had to like scramble them, put them back in the bed. Mm-hmm. Um and then eventually I went to go sleep in the guest bedroom because I kept waking them up with my snores. Aww. So we had our Uncle Buck moment, and it's really cute to see it. And it's kind of a long scene. Yeah. It's like two minutes of you just watching what they're doing Yeah, from a from a top-down perspective. It but works. It works, and it's charming, and it's cute, and you just love Uncle Buck more. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What did I write down? Great question, Aaron. What did you write down? Um, Car scene is problematic now. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With the car firing off like a gun at a school. It's great. I love the state of the United States right now. It's just really wonderful. I'm so glad yeah. that there are so many good guys with guns. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, but I did say that's like his battering moment. <laughs> Where, you know, like when you see a battering, you're like, oh no, Matman's here. And then <laughs> when you hear Uncle Buck's. Boy, that's a callback. <laughs> when you hear Uncle Buck's car go off, you're like, oh no. Uncle Bugs here. Um, and then another thing, Laurie Metcalf is in here. Oh, yeah. Also a Chicago person. Yeah. And uh, just, God, she was she was dialed into this movie, too, as her character. I didn't like her character. I didn't. I like Laurie Metcalf. But she I was dialed like in. Character. It was, uh, 
Yeah, and a lot of her scenes were problematic, too. Yeah. She was too cartoonish. In yeah. a movie that also just dances so close to being a live-action cartoon. Same. Yeah, But agreed. also, John Hughes is... The movie should be an atonal mess, and maybe it is to some people. Totally valid concern. Somehow it seems cohesive. I don't understand how it works. Maybe it's just me being excited to see John Candy do his thing. Yeah. Uh, and to see the Mac attack in action. Um, and I'm sorry, I... Uh... The correct line is "Get in your mouse and get out of here." I wrote sure. it. I wrote it down in my notes. Um, but I also wrote, "We all need a brother like Bob, Buck's brother. Mm-hmm. He he genuinely loves his brother. He wants to hold out for him. You know, he's he's probably the older brother that had to look after him, and he still loves his brother. Keep going. Um, and real quick, what do you think of Tia? I loved that character. I did too, except for her her arc getting resolved because buck forcing her to kind of make amends with her mother is so from from a 2019 lens seems so bad because she's an absentee parent they're both absentee parents and they have a lot to answer for because uh tia is the mother tia is the one that is taking care of gabby hoffman and macaulay culkin uh and and she's the one that has to apologize to the mom. Yeah. It's rough. Uh, she's a super manipulative teenager, but also I get where she's coming from because she's been moved into the suburbs and has to take care of these kids. She didn't get a choice. Yeah. And the parents are just going, doing whatever, and they're completely absent. And, and she, and the thing is, she knows it. She recognizes what she has to play, what she has to do. She has to play mommy. She has to play older sister at the same time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this big, you know, this big schlub comes in and she's just supposed to, like, stop her way of life. Which I think the more interesting thing would have been for her to let her walls down to be taken care of because Buck is a more authoritative figure than her parents. And that's not what the movie does. Instead, Buck, they play with traditional gender roles and Buck becomes kind of a, I don't know, an avenging angel that is looking out for Tia's virginity as opposed to looking, it's 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 right there. Tia needs someone to take care of her, period. She needs yeah. someone to rely on because she's a child. And she doesn't know how to ask that. Yes. Yeah, which is really... And and Buck is nothing but vulnerability. Yeah, because he's he's just like you're a kid. I'm supposed to look after you. Why are you why are you fighting this? But the movie never does that. Instead, the only times that Buck is invulnerable is around Tia. Yeah, and he becomes a guy who is literally wielding a hatchet and a drill. And yeah, yeah. which is such a missed opportunity. And then eventually, they Buck goes. I guess I should have trusted you more, which is absurd that's it's yeah. really out of character for you to be this way um what i did like about her too is um and the only way i could really say it is they raise her fog of being an adult very smoothly in certain parts like she comes down for breakfast and he says oh you drink coffee and she takes a sip and just makes this grimace mm-hmm. that any child would make when they drink black yeah. coffee yeah and it's just it's charming and it's cute and another part is when they're out at a party 
and he's like uh bugs like you want to go to your go to the car and like the, the face of her her look is hor- horrified she's yeah. a 15 year old little girl and she's like why he's like you know why and like it gets to a point where she's like i don't feel comfortable and you can tell that because she's a kid you know she tries to play this and she's at points you're like oh, i can't stand her she's being so mean to buck blah 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 but that's because you love buck so much sure um, and it, it's they raise that fog really smoothly, and I really like that. But I love that character because it's so complex from the get go. How many times do we see an older child that has kind of been abandoned by parents that are still there, but aren't there? Right. And then she she's sympathetic a thousand percent. Whenever she's being mean to Buck, I get it. Because no one is giving her a fair shake. No one is meaning her on her own terms. Well, he's the first adult, probably, she's had to encounter, realistically. Yeah. Aside from giving her mother a snide remark down the hall. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like, what are you doing in my in my neck of the woods? You know, this is, this is my territory. What are you doing? Of course, I'm going to test you out. Yeah. But, yeah, so I, I think she was... It's really just her payoff. It's just like, God, really? Uh, that that's where I kind of had my gripes with it. Another another gripe was consent was not talked about in this movie, and I really don't like that they they didn't touch on it more. Yes, because um, it is a very awkward scene, even for eighty nine. Yes, it's a very awkward scene where Bug is trying to like basically force himself on this this girl. She's like, no, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Buck just shows up, drills the the doorknob, <laughs> and <sighs> it just shows up thinking it's going to be Tia, and it just comes out that Bug found another girl. Yeah. Fun fact, that house party was one of the first movies to describe uh, teens liking rap over rock. Man. Which is weird, because they're uh, Bucks coming into the house, and they're playing Bust a Move. Great song. <laughs> great song. And he, just seeing just this awkward, slumpy man walking throughout the house full of kids, which is just... The fire marshal would have been very upset with a number of people in that, that house. It was very uncomfortable. I did not like it. Um, but I did write also, Buck is large, not fat. Did you get that vibe? He was. Uh, he does not fit into... He fits into... Uh, he does not get to go into my list, if this is what you are referring to. Okay, that's fair. He uh, he is fat. He is large. He is, he is schlubby. Okay. He's still, yeah, the messy vibe does make up makes him look bad he's very clean that, yeah that is that is an unusual choice like he's very put together he's got his rings his watches his hair's always combed yeah uh he wears a sweater with a collared shirt underneath it very clean he's a very clean schlubby person but he's still a schlub right uh he has to get his life together right just like every fat person in popular media except for uh, a handful of people and also apparently Greg Grunberg in every movie that he does. Um, but yeah. Oh, I don't know how I now looking at it whenever he's going to go. Cause he asked Tia cause the, the, the kind of the payoff for Buck is he's got a gambling thing. Yeah. He's going to go to the horse, uh, the horse track. Yeah. And it's gonna. It, the big thing is this is his year payoff. If he gets this, he's good. Um, and he asks Tia to watch the kids. Tia leaves to go to that party, mm-hmm. and he has to take the kids with him. Mm-hmm. What? How did you feel when he's in the car? Oh, it felt so artificial. I was going, "What uh, happened? Did I miss something?" And 
the moment I did like is the moment after that when he's talking to Shanice. Yes. Because you can tell when they give him the phone, they just tell him, go, just be John. Mm-hmm. And he does it so well. He He's organic. He's charming. He's fun. I feel like they filmed him and then told the, you know, the counterpart to, to go off of what he's saying. Yes. Is, is what it feels like. And Amy Madigan. <laughs> when he's talking to her. Yeah. Amy Madigan. Who's, who we knew from the get-go. Say her name. Amy Madigan. Good. She's she's had it up to here with him, and this she's is real bad for pot. <laughs> she's had again with him, and she's just fed up with him. And she's like, "No, I'm tired. You didn't come in for work. This is bullshit. Um, we're done. It's you know? bad again. <laughs> the relationship went bad again, <laughs> and she's sad again. <laughs> but by the end of it, she gets glad again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've evolved. Um, and so she's just like, no, Buck, I can't watch the kids. You're just going to go to the racetrack. And he's like, no, this isn't about me. This I got to go get Tia. That was much more charming than him looking in the reflection, seeing the two kids in his crummy car, and he starts to cry. That was way too artificial. I didn't, I didn't get it. I yeah. didn't get it. And also I was going, uh, we have no context of what the horse races look like. Right. For for the most part, they're very nice. Yeah, if I was a child and getting to go to a horse race, I'd be going, "Cool, I get to go see races." Like races yeah, and are horses. cool. Yeah, horses are cool. Like if we went to like a dog fight or a cock fight, that's where I'd be like, "Ah, uh, why are you taking a kid to?" Yeah, very rarely should you take a child to a cock fight. Exactly. Uh, there are not many instances. What are some instances where you should take a child to a cock fight? I'm going to say none. Okay. Hot take. Controversial opinion. Uh, great to disagree. Please uh, tweet at us at shamewatchpod uh, or comment on our Instagram. What you think the child policy is should be at cockfights? Do you think children should be at Open cockfights? admission or... Uh, we should probably create a phone number in order to field some of the incoming calls. I feel like this is going to be a hot topic. Uh, again, uh, use the hashtag cancel Adam Sandler. <laughs> In regards to if do you want to bring children to cockfights or not let them uh, be at cockfights, feel free to tag Adam Sandler in whatever you're doing. Again, the hashtag is cancel Adam Sandler. And uh, throw uh, Kevin James in there, too. No, Kevin James is fine. Or Rob Schneider. Sure, throw Rob (laughs) Schneider in there. That's fine. But, yeah, so, like, I mean, for the most part, like, Kentucky Derbies are very – it's – it's a fashion show now at this point in mm-hmm. today's age. So I saw nothing wrong with it. Um, but the point is like, it's gambling. Kids can't go. Sure. And um, so unlike cockfights where we're still <laughs> kind of undecided. Air. Yeah. yeah it's, it's up in the air. Like I, I don't want to say no. Aaron, write this down. This will be the thing that we'll judge James on. If he actually listened to the episode, uh, ask him, uh, what the hashtag is for you. <laughs> using, <laughs> For, for the opinion on cockfights. And, and make sure to bring it up out of nowhere. Don't, don't, I know we're great at adding context. It's critical. Uh, James, if you're listening to this, the answer is hashtag ca- cancel Adam Sandler. Kids should not be allowed at cockfights. Or should they? Should they? Yeah, he'll have to say that whole thing. <laughs> hashtag cancel Adam Sandler. Kids should not be allowed at cockfights. Or should they? That's the only way that we will know that you listen to this episode, James. 
you have to say hashtag cancel Adam Sandler. Kids should not be allowed at cockfights, or should they? This is a long hashtag. Well, it's not all one hashtag. Okay, that, that makes life easier. The only thing that's together is hashtag cancel Adam Sandler because we want to get that. We want to get that trending. <laughs> that needs some traction. Yeah, most Yesterday. definitely. Which is why we just put down five hundred thousand dollars on sponsored Instagram posts. Don't fail us now. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, there's not much le- more to the movie after that. He he finds Tia walking home from the 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 party. She's all sad. He says, you know, she's like, well, what'd you do to Bug? And he's like, ha ha. And he's in the trunk. He he kidnapped. He, he kidnapped a child. He kidnapped a child. He duct taped and bound a child and put him in the trunk Tarantino style. And then hits him with golf balls. He hits him with golf balls in a film that... In, in a scene that, if you removed the jaunty music underneath it, would not play. No. And I'm certain that the test audience was going, this is horrific. You are abusing this child. But uh, he learned his lesson. Yeah, that kid's never going <laughs> to anybody ever. Oh, man. Uh, um, and Aaron, then... Aaron, bleep out that word. <laughs> Which word? The word. Okay. Bleep that out, too. Both of them? Yeah. Gotcha. It's bleeped. Great. Um, Aaron, really bleep it out this time. Okay. I'll bleep it out. Hashtag cancel Adam Sandler. <laughs> Kids should not be allowed at cockfights. Or should, or should they? they? Um, God, we got we got some strong hashtags. We really do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of finishes out from there. Um, what I didn't like is the mom and Buck still don't have a solid ground. Yeah, that's never resolved. And... That's why they, they shouldn't have. They they shouldn't have had that scene where he unfolds the picture, yeah. because that adds a little bit too much history, and that's a that's a lovely scene and the sentiment that adds dimension, but it's never explored, so they should have lifted that. Yeah, and it it's that I think what you said is correct. I would have loved to see the cutting room floor of this movie. Yes, because there's is just so much that probably is in there. Um, and it's a long movie. It's an hour and 40. Yeah. I mean. That's so long. I mean. and, and But I mean. Real talk though. What, well. Were the 80s different? Yeah. Were, were movies long? Well, I know they were different. But <laughs> were movies longer? I, I, I don't think we're hit with the epidemic that we certainly have now. I think a two and a half hour movie might. As a blockbuster or a major performer would have been a little bit rarer. More rare. Less frequent. There we go. It would have been less frequent. (laughs) Hashtag cancel Adam Sandler. And now every single blockbuster has to be two plus hours. uh, Probably dictated to economics. Well, really Disney economics. Because if you make your movie longer than two hours and people want that blockbuster... They've got to book it on multiple screens, which gives other movies less time to perform because it's evil. Yeah, I see your point. I get you. I mean, I have no proof of this, only a theory, because I'm scratching my head wondering why does Transformers need to be three hours long? Yeah, because Endgame made sense. Return of the King makes sense. I guess. Um, Do you think there will be a time when it's an not unusual to see three hours. 
Because everybody made a big deal about Endgame. I was like, my mom had me sit through Return of the King. We're already at two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes for a lot of big tentpole things. Right. I, I, it's only a matter of time before that becomes the thing. And we, I don't think anyone walking out of Endgame was going, wow, that felt like three hours. No, yeah. Because like, and it's weird because like on Facebook and everything, if you don't have a 30 second ad, you've, you've lost them. Or yeah. a 10 second ad, you've lost them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of interesting that it went that way. Are we playing the Rotten Tomatoes game? Absolutely, we're playing the Rotten Tomatoes game. The special birthday edition of the Rotten Tomatoes game. Aaron uh, takes a theme song from the previous episode with Ashley Blum and drops this in right now. now. Welcome to the Rotten Tomatoes game, the special birthday edition of the Big Boy Maxi series. Uh, while we didn't play this game with Jersey Girl, we are going to be playing this with Uncle Buck. For those of you that might not be familiar with Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes is a review aggregator that collects all the reviews that have been submitted for a film uh, either judges these reviews into fresh categories or rotten categories and then Rotten Tomatoes makes a final verdict of if this film is fresh or rotten. I have the percentage of those aggregates right here and it will be up to our guests in order to guess them. Uh, today we have both a critical score as well as an audience score, unlike last week's episode Ooh. of Opening Night, uh, which was a resounding 80% on the Rotten Tomatoes. But let's see if Uncle Buck scores higher or lower than last week's critical runaway smash so what, Opening Night. So what doesn't help this one is it's old. Sure. So like like you said. Correct. It, it, it's kind of hard, so it's going to be a smaller pond. Yes. Uh, for official critics, we have a total count of 23 uh, including the one rotten review from one Dennis Schmelz. And then for audience score, we have a user ratings of 199,850. Good for them. Okay. Sure. Um, James, what's yours? Okay. Um, for uh, critics, I'm going to say 55. 55%. For audience... I'm going to say 89%. Okay. For critics, 55%. For audience, 89%. Yeah. Drum roll, please. It's so soft. <laughs> the Rotten Tomatoes game rules that critics judge this 61% okay. fresh. Okay. And then audience score is 76%. Ah, that's wrong, though. That should be 89. <laughs> For me, it's an 89. Sure. Uh, I, I I have a sneaky suspicion that the longer this hellish nightscape that we call the United States goes on, the more refreshing this film will feel because this feels very earnest, soft-spoken, and gentle, which is especially considering where comedies were in the late 80s and going into the 90s where the function was to shock and be as offensive as possible because that's just where the heck we were. We were allowed to explore cultural, well, I won't say we, white people were allowed to explore cultural norms and be able to uh, be ironically racist and whatnot. Uh, Uncle Buck is just a fresh a breath air. That's right. I said a fresh, fresh of breath, breath air. air. Get in your mouse. Go. 
Um, Aaron, many happy compilations on your birthday. Thank you, sir. Uh, what are you wishing for? Uh, this year, Don't say it. You're going to ruin uh, your wish. Help with speed. Yeah, so thank you for being a part of this episode. James, we missed you. You're still going to be quizzed on this. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been good times. We have a... Uh, oh, our next episode's going to be so much fun. Oh, I guess we could probably announce it. Yeah. Uh, here. We can... Without James. <laughs> here in the room. <laughs> Uh, James, take it away. Okay. We're absolutely thrilled to be embarking on this next mini-series. While we've done things that have a loose theme, the next two months... Super tight. That's right. Two-month mini-series. Two months! In what we are proudly proclaiming as Wild Speed Summer. What the heck is Wild Speed Summer? What the heck could that possibly mean? Well, That can only mean one thing. Street Sharks. Street Sharks, that's right. We're reviewing every single episode of Street Sharks. We're pivoting the podcast yet again to do an episode-by-episode review of each episode of Street Sharks in order to celebrate Wild Speed Summer. <laughs> no, that previous bit was indeed a bit. To celebrate the impending release <laughs> of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, we, the Shame Watch crew, We'll be reviewing and looking at all of the Fast and the Furious movies that have been released so far. So starting next week, we will be starting with episode number, the movie number. Mulligan, take all that stuff out, Aaron. Uh, you better not leave it in. Do you want me to or no? You can do whatever you want. I don't okay. care. We're going to be starting with the very first movie in the Fast and the Furious franchise, boldly proclaimed and titled... The Fast and the Furious. I always get confused because I know there's just Fast and Furious, right? Certainly. So. And not only that, but we'll be building to a live stream that will be hosted inside the movie house and eatery. That's right. We've got our first official sponsor in the form of movie house and eatery. Which it, is really great if you've never been. It's super great. Uh, if you like a movie theater that does not have 25 years of sexual assault attached to it, Go to the movie house and eatery. That's where I go, and I like to go to places where there's little to no sexual assault. Preferably none. Preferably none, exactly, yeah. And they have great food, too. So we'll, we'll give we'll give you all that spiel in the coming months, because that's right, it's coming months. Aaron, feel free to lift that out if you want to. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. It might stand. Um, you can just we'll... bleep out sexual assault. <laughs> there's a lot of bleeps in this one. Sure. Yeah, we're going rogue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we got a lot of fun things coming up. Um, All leading up to the release of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, which the reason that we've titled it Wild Speed Summer is because in Japan, Hobbs and Shaw is titled Wild Speed Super Combo, which in our Maxi Boy's opinion, that sounds like a weird name, but I'm going to stick with it. Us Maxi Boys think that's a great name. It's fresh. It's fresh. It is fresh. Certified Ziploc fresh. <laughs> It is tight. I love it. So please patronize your local video stores or, well, no, you should just patronize what local video stores that you have around town. Go rent the Fast and the Furious and watch along with us all summer because we're not going to stop for anything. Just like Dom, we're going to live this podcast a quarter mile at a time. 
Does he really say that? Yeah. By the way, I've only seen one, so this is going to be a great summary. Good. Don't research anything else. (laughs) Don't look up anything else. Oh, man. I'm really excited for this one. So it's really easy to follow along with us. Each week, we're just going in uh, chronological order. We're not jumping around. Well, we're going in release order. Oh, sorry. We'll go into chronological order later. I forget that's an actual thing with this movie. Certainly. Yes, we're going in release order. So starting with The Fast and the Furious next week. Join with us. Uh, yeah. Anything else, Aaron? I, I think I'm good. Kenny, you got anything? No, I'm just so jazzed to start off this next miniseries. I'm really stoked, man. Uh, and it's lovely to be here with you uh, on this birthday episode. As always, man, thank you. You're very uh, Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's a great way to bring in 25. Certainly. Uh, Aaron, where can people find you on social media? Uh, Laughing Panda 5 on Twitter, Laughing Panda everywhere else, Letterboxd, Austin Amateurs on YouTube, Aaron Salinas on Facebook. You can find me on my website, KennyMadisonIsCool.com. You can also find me on Letterboxd.com slash KennyMadison. Folks, that has been our episode of Shame Watch. Thank you to Denise Hudson for our rock and theme song and to James Garcia for our artwork. Please shoot us a review, rate, and subscribe to Shane Watch on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Podbean, and Spotify. And if your review is particularly good, we'll read it on air because we're not above it. Additionally, you can contribute to our parent company, Patreon, at patreon.com slash flatfilms, where you can get exclusive content related to the podcast and other hot tent from our parent company, Flat Films. Uh, it costs money to put on this podcast. We love doing it, and we'd love a little bit of a kickback uh, so we can bring you more insightful analysis on something that has turned out to be an unusually political podcast, which I'm kind of pleased with. Uh, Until then, folks, our watch has now ended. Dive at your own risk. Pew, pew, pew. Here comes the intro music or outro music. (laughs) 